Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones, it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss waitresses who don't write down your order, the mysterious foreign language of health insurance companies, and customized sneakers in less than an hour. Notepads, foreign languages, and cool kicks. Oh my! We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? So Dan, about two weeks ago, we celebrated my son's fourth birthday, which as you might imagine, was delightful. We took in an afternoon matinee of cars with a bunch of other uh, family friends that also have kids. And then we went to a local restaurant. And just to set the scene for you, there were seven adults and six children, and the six children were all under the age of six, which meant the adults were totally outnumbered. And so we get into this restaurant, and we all sit down, and the waitress comes up to take the order. And how to take a guess as to how that usually happens. What's been your experience, Dan, when the waitress usually takes the order? Well, they ask everybody what they want. You know, usually probably I would have started with the adults here. I'd have my pad of paper. I'd have my pen in my hand and uh, I'd be writing down what everybody wants uh, one at a time. Isn't that what happened? Yeah. You would think that that's what would happen. But alas, no, that's not what happened. This restaurant decided, and they shall remain nameless because here on the experience of this show, we don't like to call people out as much as we like to point to opportunities for improvement. Um, The waitress memorized the orders or was going to attempt to memorize the orders. And as we're going around the table, there's, as you might imagine, a bunch of people that are gluten-free, no vegans in the group, uh, but uh, you know, a lot of like asking what's in certain things, and there's some folks that have some pretty significant allergies, and so navigating around that. And as this is happening, I'm watching the waitress you know, engaging and talking with people and thinking, oh, okay. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, there's no way she's tracking all of this. I'm kind of worried about where this is going, Joey. Yeah, it's not good. So fast forward about 15, 20 minutes. uh, By now, the kids are really ready to eat. The food starts to come out. First plate comes out. It's a salad, and there are tomatoes all over it, which normally wouldn't be that bad of a thing, except the person who gets that salad has a tomato allergy that they specifically said, I have an allergy. And so they gently remind the waitress, and the waitress says, oh, I'll, I'll take this back, and we'll have one remade for you. We then set down one of the burgers for one of the kids who has a wheat allergy, so needed the gluten-free bun, and this isn't the gluten-free bun. And then his brother next to him starts to say, where's my burger? And the waitress says, wait, I thought you only wanted one burger for both of them. And I can't decide what was more priceless, the look of the parent's face 
uh, or the look of the kid's face of like, wait, we're sharing a meal now? And it was just one of those moments where, again, not the end of the world, but if in your business you are going to try to create a remarkable experience by taking something that's pretty normal, uh, that would be recording the order at a restaurant, and make it more remarkable by having the wait staff memorize the order, you've got to get it right. You know, all too often businesses, I think, try to take a basic normal experience and make it special. And when that fails, and when they fail at taking the basic thing, that's when the customer really gets annoyed. Because like, had they written down the orders, had the waitress went and written down the orders and then not gotten them right, it would have been one of those things where it'd be easy to go, oh, well, that probably was the kitchen or something happened. But it really put it onto the waitress's shoulders for not writing down the order. And again, it still could have happened in the kitchen, but the customer experience was to want to blame the waitress, which you know we didn't do uh, in the conversation, but it was definitely something where uh, I recognized there was an opportunity to make a remarkable experience, and instead they took a basic experience and made it pretty unremarkable. Well, yeah, I mean, I think when you are trying to make a remarkable experience, you got to take a look at what makes it remarkable and why anyone would care. I mean, even if she got the order completely right. Do you think anybody's going to say, hey, I want to go back to that restaurant where the waitress memorizes my order because that's super cool? I mean, that's not something that is going to cause people to come back or cause the experience to be that memorable, especially if the food is you know, not good or other parts of the experience aren't good. So I think my advice to that place would be come up with a different way to be remarkable in the first place and just give a darn pad to the to the waitress so she can write down everybody's order because you know what's special is when you get the food that you actually ordered. So true, especially when you have six children at the table. It's shocking how often people use 38 words to describe something when two would do the trick. We're looking at you, lawyers and accountants. Words matter, and there is no excuse for trying to hide what you mean. We explore words and messaging in this next iteration of Say What? So, Joey, you may know about me that I spent a little time in the health insurance industry. Oh, it's so sexy. It's one of my favorite things about your past because who doesn't get excited about health insurance? I don't get excited about health insurance. (laughs) I thought you could sense my biting sarcasm. I could definitely tell. But anyway, uh, as we talk about Say What You Mean, I want to talk to you about a survey that was done by an organization called Policy Genius. And they talked to 2,000 Americans about health insurance. They asked them actually a pretty simple question. They just said, can you define the following four health insurance terms? The first one was deductible. And... uh, 74% were confident that they definitely understood the term deductible. The next one was coinsurance, and people were a little less confident there. Only 47% of people said they definitely understand what coinsurance means. The third one was copay, and 83% of Americans were confident that they definitely understand what a copay is. And maybe because they have to reach in their wallet and hand the money to the receptionist. That does sound like what a copay is. It's possible. And then the fourth one was called out-of-pocket maximum, and 67% 
of Americans were, were very confident that they definitely understood what out-of-pocket maximum meant. So those numbers again, 74, 47, 83, and 67. Well, the researchers then went one step forward and they said, okay, prove it. What are the definitions of these four words? This isn't going to end well. I want to ask you to guess, Joey, the percentage of Americans that could define all four terms. Oh, it's, it's, did this survey include people on Capitol Hill? (laughs) It doesn't. Sorry, I I, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Uh, I I have to imagine that it is a really, really low number, like a scary low number. Like I'm going to guess less than 25%. That would be pretty scary. You know, it's even scarier. The actual number was 4%. Wow. 4% 4% of Americans could actually define what a deductible coinsurance copay and out-of-pocket maximum mean. Now, and why the kicker I- is those are all things that are pretty they, – they pretty regularly come up when you deal with insurance. Of course they do. You know yeah. what I mean? So I can understand if it was like, hey, define you know, – Define this really complex medical term that only shows up in, you know, one in every 10,000 patients, right? But these are kind of the the part and parcel of why people have health insurance and the main functioning aspects of health insurance. Yes, and I think that's why people seemed confident that they understood it because they recognized them. They probably sure. saw all four of them on a inappropriately named document called the explanation of benefits. And it's inappropriately <laughs> named because it, it, it does everything except explain your benefits. Exactly. I, I, I feel like it's one of those things where explanation of benefits, it is neither an explanation nor is it to your benefit. Exactly. And so I ask, why does every single health insurance company still use these four words on every single explanation of benefits that gets sent out to their customers? The companies know that people don't understand what the words mean. So why do they still do it? And when you ask, you get these very vague answers that have something to do with regulation or legal. I was going to say lawyers are to blame, aren't they? Pretty much. And you being a former lawyer. Yes, uh, recovering, recovering attorney. Are you a former lawyer or like, are you once a lawyer, you're always a lawyer? No, you're, you're recovering attorney. The first step is admitting you have a problem. It's your recovering attorney. Okay. So yes, the lawyers got involved. And at some point, these definitions became common language of pretty much every health insurance company. And the one thing they forgot is that people have no idea what they're talking about. And it drives it drives me forgive me for interrupting. It drives me crazy. Crazy when people blame the lawyers because it's such an easy cop out. I seriously seriously doubt and and I am not a practicing attorney anymore, so this is not legal advice I'm giving or a, a formal legal opinion. But I seriously seriously doubt that the healthcare rules and regulations require them to give the obtuse, confusing, jargon-filled definitions that they do, right? I, it, that and, it, and if they do, we have a bigger problem, right? We have plenty of problems in healthcare. But I think all too often people say, well, legally we have to do it. And if you actually go to the lawyers who represent the health insurance companies and you say, show me in the regulations where it says you have to explain it this way, they can't. Well, because the thing it is, doesn't it, require it. And even if it did, let's say, let's let's say hypothetically that 
insurance companies are required by law to use the word coinsurance. That still doesn't stop any of them from defining that for the customer, from even in a word or two, putting in parentheses, this is what this really means, right? And you sometimes see companies having fun with some of the legalese that they're required to put in there, you know, and instead of, instead of, you know, starting something off that says disclaimer, you know, they might say something like a word from our lawyers, right? And they try to put it in a little bit more English. This is what needs to happen here is that, you know, if you, if you can dump these words, that would be great because Americans don't understand them. But if you can't, you can at least explain them better. And I'll tell you the one that bothers me the most is the one that's called out of pocket because, and it's funny that you, you said reaching into your pocket for copay. And, and that is true that, that often at the doctor's office, that's what they tell you, you have to reach in your pocket for. But then there's this other thing called out of pocket. Now I speak English. It's my first language. When I see the words out of pocket, that says to me the amount of money I have to reach into my pocket to pay for my health care. And it might not be at the desk when I'm checking out of the doctor. It might be, you know, sure. writing in a check later to, you know, after the claim and whatever. But it is the money I pay. And the funny thing about that is that that definition is right. Asterisk. You're, not, you're a lawyer, so you like asterisks. <laughs> asterisk. That definition is right, asterisk, as long as... The doctors that you are visiting are always in your network. Right. Now, forget about for a moment that nobody can ever figure out whether they're in your network or not. But I was going to say, but can. every insurance company has a website that you can go to to find out whether they're in network or not. Now, whether it works and how difficult it is to navigate that, most people I know just decide to throw in the towel and go to whatever doctor they need to go to, knowing that they may end up having to pay a little more. Yes, because the in-network, out-network list on a on an insurance company's website is um, – it actually differs by policy. So you could live in one state or even in one awesome. county and have, and have different networks. So if you go out of network to a doctor, then what the insurance company calls the out-of-pocket maximum is not actually definitionally correct because if you go out of network, you could pay an unlimited amount. Because the, the insurance company basically disregards the part that they don't cover because they say, well, it's out of network, so we don't cover that. Oh, well, it was $10,000. Uh, sorry, that doesn't count towards your out-of-pocket maximum. Well, what do you mean? I spent $10,000. It came out of my out pocket. Of my I can prove it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So anyway, not to beat a dead horse, but I think this is a great example of, of an easy fix, an easy way to change the experience in a very complex industry. But this is a document, the explanation of benefits, quote unquote, the explanation of benefits that every one of our listeners has viewed at some point if you have health insurance. And it is a document that very, very intelligent people can sit and stare at and not understand the language or the math behind it. And so I think it's the duty of the health insurance companies to make that clear for their customers. I totally agree. And I think if for folks that are listening, you may agree with us and say, oh yeah, the insurance companies, they need to do better. I'd encourage you to go look at your own contracts and your own agreements that you have with your customers. Are you really saying what you mean? Is it something that is so clear and so easily understood that you know a fifth grader could read and understand very clearly what is being expected, what is being promised, and what is going to be delivered. 
you know, these things come up all the time. We highly encourage you, if you come across something that you feel is written so poorly that it makes you want to cry or is so confusing that you can't even begin to decipher, send it on in to us and we would love to feature you on an episode of Say What You Mean. Plus, we have a lawyer on staff. Now, he is recovering. We do. But he still remembers how to look at contracts and legalese. And so he can actually help you interpret it. I did spend time in law school. This is true. There are so many great customer experience articles to read. But who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press where we read the articles so you don't need to. This week's article comes from Engadget and is entitled, Nike Made Me a Pair of Custom Sneakers in 46 Minutes. The article's by Edgar Alvarez, and Edgar describes Nike's new maker's experience. It's an invite-only, limited-time event where you can go to a special studio in New York, the Bayou Studio, and have a pair of custom shoes made for you. You design them in less than an hour. And what's cool about this is you walk in, you put on a pair of their Presto shoes in all white, and then they actually project different designs onto your feet, and you can kind of toggle through and customize to pick the ones you want. You know, I thought this was a pretty sweet technology and kind of a fun way to introduce a new technology to their loyal fans and customers. What did you think, Dan? I think it's great. I mean, it reminded me a little bit, this is much more old school, but uh, when I was at Discover Card, one of the most popular features on the Discover Card for a long time was that we offered 150 different choices for the graphics on the card. You could get various dogs and cats. You could get nature scenes. You could get different cityscapes. You could get different sports. And people absolutely loved it because it allowed them to have a little bit of personalization and to sort of feel like it was something that was theirs. And I know I got, this is going to shock you, Joey, I got a baseball one. And what? And really? every single time I presented the card to a cashier, I got comments on it. And so I think this idea of customization and personalization, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about it, but there's very few companies that are, have been able to do what Nike's doing right now, which is to actually turn their product and make it customizable. I do think this is the tip of the iceberg, and I think we're going to see a lot more of this across many industries. I totally agree. And I think the interesting thing is for people who are longtime fans of Nike, back in 1999, Nike introduced this new technology called Nike ID, where you could go online and actually customize every aspect of your tennis shoe. And once you had designed it exactly the way you wanted, order it. And it would take six to eight weeks to receive it. Now, they still have, and at the time, stop and think about that. That's pretty amazing that you could have a custom pair of tennis shoes made in six to eight weeks was incredible. This is back in 99. Their newest technology, the one that just launched, they can make the shoe in 46 minutes. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, it's not the entire shoe that's customizable 
yet. This is just their their test run. But what I thought was interesting in the article, they talked about the fact that going forward, they plan to roll this out to their Nike retail stores. So imagine walking into a store that doesn't have to carry the full inventory of every shoe they have walking into, you know, putting on these plain white sneakers, being able to project on whatever design you want. And while you're in the store or just walking around the store, they'll make the shoe you want. This has incredible implications, not only for the customer experience, but for supply chain logistics, for inventory management, for being able to turn on a dime if there's some new trend or popular uh, new social meme that they want to put onto a shoe. Somebody could be making shoes as they go. And I think what's interesting is shoes then become not only a way to, uh, you know, show your personal interest in your likes and dislikes, which is what they do now. But if they can make these shoes this quickly on site, I could see a situation where people might do up shoes for the big game that weekend or for prom or for, you know, a special date or whatever it may be. They might create custom footwear only for an evening or for a, a single usage. And I think the the potential implications for this technology are absolutely incredible. Well, sure. And especially if we expand it beyond shoes into virtually anything else. And, you know, this article is saying that right now the choices are somewhat limited. There's a bunch of different colors and a bunch of different styles and you can kind of mix and match. And so it, it seemed like I didn't do the math, but it seemed like there were several dozen options. But Obviously, where this is going to go is you can upload your own picture or you can, you know, basically personalize it completely. And, you know, we're there in a lot of other places. If you think about, um, you know, to me, it's the difference between your phone case, which is something that you have to buy pre-made, but you can customize it because there's thousands of them available and you can pick the one you like to the background image on your phone, which is personalized to you because it's a picture that you took most likely and it and yours is the only phone that has that background image and so i think we're getting used to being able to have it how we want it and uh and and so the fact that they're moving to shoes is super cool and the fact that it can be done that quickly is super cool i think i would look for shirts and hats and other apparel absolutely for sure and then you start to break it out into other markets and you know i mentioned credit cards but think about all of the things that we carry around with us all day a, a watch whatever it is i think that you know you could very easily see this uh, you know going out further and just to sort of bring it back to uh, what our show is about, which is experience, it definitely sounds like Nike is trying to uh, not be the Apple store, which I think everybody kind of holds out as the key retail experience or, you know, the ideal, but to be Nike in a way that is completely different and is an experience in and of itself. I mean, I don't know about you. Shoe shopping is not my favorite activity. I'll do it because I have to. Uh, but to be able to walk into a store and look forward to an adventure while you're there is a completely different experience than most people are used to. I agree with you, Dan. And while I do like and enjoy shoe shopping, it sounds like more than you do. I think this is taking it to an entirely different level. So I think there are three key takeaways from this article. Number one, the 
desire to personalize our products uh, is increasing. It's happening more and more every year, and more and more companies are stepping up to give their customers these personalized, customized experiences. If this isn't on your radar screen, it needs to be. Number two, it works to roll out technology and test it. I mean, as I mentioned, they did the Nike ID sneakers back in 99. They now have this new maker's experience uh, this year. And as we kind of look and add on, I'm anticipating that Nike will continue to push the envelope of adding opportunities for personalization. And finally, if you can give your customers the opportunity to express themselves with your product, they're going to love your product even more. So don't be so caught up in that your product needs to be a certain look, feel, shape, size, color. If there's an opportunity for customization or personalization and you make it a game and an experience that your customers can collaborate with you and enjoy, they're going to want to tell everyone about it. They're going to want to show everyone their product. And next time when it's time to make a new one, they're coming back to you. Listen in while we try to stump and surprise each other with a fantastic statistic from the worlds of customer experience and customer service. It's time to check out this number. Okay, Dan, the number this week is 50%. What do you think it refers to? That I have half a chance of being right. (laughs) Very well, my friend. Well played. Actually, this 50% refers to the fact that 50% of all interactions with customers will happen across multiple events on multiple channels. This comes from our friends at Oracle CX Cloud. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show, Oracle. We really appreciate it. And their ebook, Digital Transformation, three areas of customer experience to invest in right now. You know, the important thing here is that most companies are built in a siloed fashion. And so different teams are managing different parts of the experience. And if they're not talking with one another, then the half of all interactions that will happen across multiple channels will not be consistent. So the best piece of advice I can give here is if you are in charge of designing a specific part of the experience, make sure you know where the customer's coming from and where they're immediately going afterwards and at least make sure that that before, during, and after is a consistent experience. As a kid who grew up on a farm in Iowa, silos are great for your farm and they're horrible for your business. Go to oracle.com slash connected CX. You can download the PDF we mentioned earlier immediately. If you give them an email, you can pick up two more CX reports that are pretty cool as well. Thanks so much for sponsoring us, Oracle CX Cloud. We really appreciate it. Wow. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions. And if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.